Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. My time starts now. We're in the middle of a uh, term two teaching series. As many of you know, those of you called Bayside Church your home, we're doing a series called Cheat Sheet, Doing Life Well, Finding Practical Wisdom in How to Do Life Well through the book of Proverbs. This was largely instigated by a word that was brought to us at the start of the year by Nick Reske uh, about growing in Christ. It's not just about doing ministry well, but really is about doing the whole of life well, doing life well. And we thought, what better book in the Bible dedicated to godly wisdom on all areas of life than is the book of Proverbs? So it's a bit of a double whammy. We're not covering every verse. For goodness sake, we'll be here forever. Uh, But just gleaning from the book of Proverbs, your homework, remember this term, is to read through the book of Proverbs. If you've missed a part in the series, then head to our iTunes or website, our webpage, uh, the media page, looks something like this. You can look up all of our series and they group together. In fact, one of the things we do for those of you who don't subscribe to a platform like iTunes or whatever, uh, is we actually, uh, Peter groups them all. So by the end, of the, uh, the end of a series, you can click one button and a zip file of all the MP3s in that series. <laughs> will download on your computer, you can have all the files as mp3. But anyway, you can get that done. Last week's message was called Doing Hate Well. So today I thought I'd go on a bit more of a feel-good message that I'm a little bit more comfortable with because preaching on hate and encouraging... You're just going to have to get the message now, aren't you? Uh, Encouraging hate was a little bit uh, unnerving for me. So uh, today I'm going to go on something that's a little more familiar for Chad. Those of you who are part of our church family have heard me speak on this before. Today I want to talk about doing stewardship well. Doing stewardship well. One of the keys to doing life well, one of the keys to doing life well is to do stewardship well. And what I'm going to do this morning, particularly for you uh, visitors who are a little bit unfamiliar with me, my style, is I'm just going to present a concept. Here's the concept. And then I'm going to go through the book of Proverbs and pick out some practical pointers from the book of Proverbs as to how that concept works in everyday life. All right. And a bit of a warning, I'm going to head fairly fast today. So hit some high points and just move on, hoping the spark will stir something in you on this subject of stewardship. Are you with me? I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. Paul introducing this concept before we head into the book of Proverbs. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul's writing here and he says this in verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You do not belong to you, Christian. You are not your own. You, in fact, were bought at a price. Therefore, in light of this, honour God. Specifically there, honour God with your bodies. You are not your own. This reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 2, where Peter talks to the Christians he's writing to, and he draws on the language of Mount Sinai. He draws on the language of what God said to Israel when they came out of Egypt and they met at the mountain. And he says this to the Christians in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, you, my friends, are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy, 
which means set apart nation. You are God's special possession. You've got a tag on you that says belonging to God. You know how your mum used to iron on tags with your name on it? Yeah. God's, God, yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, God has marked you. And we could go into a whole theology about how he's marked us with the Holy Spirit, okay, whatever. But the point is this. You are God's possession. We are God's possession. As I said, this is Peter writing to a Christian community, but he's drawing, he's basically echoing or alluding, whatever, uh, to the language of what God said to Israel when they came out of Sinai, uh, came out of Egypt. You are my people. You are my special possession. And that idea of God, us being God's possession, should fill us with a great sense of security. Because when you know God is good and he's ultimately responsible for me, then guess what? He can take care of it. He can look after me. How secure does that make you feel? If you've got a good concept of God as the one who is your source, okay, then knowing you're God's property means good. He'll sort it out then. Because ultimately, my life's his responsibility. That's got to make you feel secure. It's got to also make you feel significant to know that you were bought at a price because you know how valuable a thing is by how much someone's willing to pay for it. Okay, We can go out in our car park today and see a huge variety of value in our motor vehicles that we've just got parked out here. Why? Some things are worth more than others. Why? Because that's what someone's willing to pay for it. That particular vehicle is worth... A lot of us know, certain cars have gone right up in value recently. Dogs, COVID, what the heck's going on? Okay, There's a lot of... In the last year, why? Well, that's what it's worth now, because that's what someone was willing to pay. What was God willing to pay to have you? The life of his son. That's how significant you are. That's how valuable you are. That's how important you are to the heart of the Father. One of the things as we break bread this morning, remembering what he did for us, remembering this is love that called us from all eternity, that said you are worth having as my own. I don't care what other people say about your value. I don't care what that drunk uncle said, what that angry teacher or abusive father said over you. I say you are worth dying for. That's how significant. So knowing I was bought with a price and knowing what that price is shows me how darn significant I am. I don't care what you think of me. Because ultimately my sense of security and significance comes from my dad in heaven. That's the most important voice in my life. Security. Significance. And the other thing it does for me, knowing that I'm not my own, is it gives me this sense of stewardship. Well, if I'm not my own, I've got to do something with my life that honours the owner. That honours the owner. Paul says a peculiar thing, and it sort of cuts against some of the grace understanding of the doctrine of grace when he says this in the grace epistle the book of romans he starts off romans in chapter 1 and verse 14 and he says to all different types of people whether they're jews or non-jews greeks or barbarians both to wise and the foolish people he said i have an obligation to them i have an obligation to discharge and i have a duty to perform i have a debt to fulfill or to pay I'm obligated to people. How can Paul, the apostle of freedom, say, I'm in debt? Because there's two ways to get into debt. One is that you owe some, someone something of yours. I owe you my money because I agreed to buy something or whatever. Or you let me money. I owe you my money. I'm obligated to you. But there's another way you can be obligated to someone. 
And it's when you become a steward. When someone gives you something and says, listen, Jay, I want you to please give this gift to Matt. Oh, no, don't do it because I need this later. <laughs> Hypothetical. I don't want to give anything to Matt. <laughs> and by me entrusting Jay with something for somebody else, she is now in debt to that person. But she's not in debt for, from her property. She owes something that belongs to another. Stewardship is having something in your possession that doesn't belong to you. It's having something in your possession that's not your possession. It belongs to another. And so Paul writes, and he's saying this to the Corinthians, who are treating their bodies in this particular context however they want, and he says, <clears throat> your body's not your own. Your body is actually not your own. There's a co-ownership going on here, okay? God owns that thing, and so you better steward it right, because it's not your property. You belong to God. And this is the notion of stewardship. And this is why he can say to the Romans, I've got something that I owe you. God has given me the gospel and it's not just for me. The gospel is for you. The word I have, the revelation I have, the things God has given me, it's not just for me, it's for you. It's a beautiful thing. And so we become a steward. We carry something that belongs to somebody else. God gives us something that actually we owe to other people people we are bringing something of God's to them and stewardship is not the be all and end all of the Christian life it's just one picture that we have to describe who God is it's just one picture that we have to describe what the Christian Christian life is like okay and you're always cautious when you hear someone say Christianity it's all about filling the dough yeah it's all about Jesus that one's fine but um, <laughs> it's all about sonship or it's all about the kingdom or it's all about healing or it's all about you're filling the gap the kingdom God is composite has a is beautifully complex and so is the Christian life and so Christianity isn't all about stewardship but it's a slice of the pie it's an aspect of who we are and it's an aspect of doing life well as doing stewardship well Jesus tells multiple parables about stewardship many parables about being honorable as a steward Paul calls himself a steward in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 1, he literally says, I kind of just quoted it first now, but he says, You should regard us as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. God's told us stuff, and it's for you. Why would you spend four years writing a book, Chad? Well, it's not so I can read it. God's told... <laughs> yes, I'll have to this week. God's given stuff to us that is actually for other people. Okay, and Paul says that, regard me like a steward. God's given me something, it's not for me. I've got to get it out somehow and get it out to others. He writes to the church in Romans, and he says this, Romans 15, 7. Uh, he talks about the Greek people who he said are in debt to the Jewish people in that context. They're in debt to them. God has given you Greek people something that actually needs to be in the hands of others. And so this idea of stewardship is something that's all the way through the Bible. Why? Because I'm not my own. I was bought at a price and I'll honour God with what actually ultimately belongs to him. God will protect me. I'm precious in his sight and I'm empowered and purposed to bless others with what he has given me. And that's what I want to look at today. That's the concept. Now I want to look at some practical areas in the book of Proverbs that unpack this thing in practical ways. Go, Chad. Ready? 
30. Proverbs 18. We've almost touched on this one this morning. Well-known verse. Proverbs 18, 20. From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. Because don't you know that the tongue has the power of life and death? The power of life and death. My friends, steward your tongue well because it's powerful. Steward your tongue well, steward your words well because not only will you eat your words, <laughs> the fruit of your words, but other people will eat the fruit of your words as well. Proverbs 12 says this, The wicked are trapped by their own words, but the godly escape trouble, insinuating with their words. Wise words keep you out of trouble. Wise words bring many benefits to somebody's life. And hard work brings rewards. God has given you a tongue. It can do evil or it can do good. So steward it well. Steward it well. Proverbs 13 says this, From the fruit of their lips, people enjoy good things. From the fruit of their lips, speaking good things. But the unfaithful have an appetite for violence. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives. Those who speak rashly will come to ruin. And often it is said, and if you've been in church any longer than six months, you've probably heard a message on guarding your tongue. Okay? And I'd rather say, no, 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 don't, be, don't guard it as in be afraid of it. Just be aware of its power and harness it for good. Okay? Harness it for good. Don't be scared of it, but harness your tongue for good. And it's three very practical and simple things. You read through the book of Proverbs, you'll find these. There are so many Proverbs about the power of the tongue. So many more I could go on about. Here's three simple things that you should do with your tongue to steward it well. A, speak words of appreciation, of adoration, of admiration, of applause to God. Speak words that admire him. Speak words. Always pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. One of the things we did this morning is we, we started out in our pre-service prayer time. We just said, what are you thankful for? Just give thanks today. Let's just be appreciative. Let's start with an attitude of gratitude. Lord, I'm speaking words of appreciation to you. Most of my prayer life is just saying thanks. Most of my prayer life is just saying thanks, Dad. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Stuff I haven't seen yet. Stuff you haven't done. Yeah, you know what I mean. Stuff you haven't finished maybe, Brooke. So I'm, I'm just giving thanks. I'm thanking. I'm thanking. Do far more thanking than asking. Okay? Appreciate. B, speak words that bless other people. Build other people up. Appreciate God. B, speak words that bless and build and benefit other people. Use your tongue to build people up. And C, please speak words. This is all the way through the Proverbs. Please speak words that are consistent with truth. You keep reading through the Proverbs, you'll find over and over again about speaking and all, all through the Bible about the importance of speaking truth. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just speak the truth as best as you know it. Speak the truth in love. Be consistent, be honest, integrous, trustworthy and reliable in your speech. Amen. Secondly, steward your temple. I want to read a whole chapter here of Proverbs. So Proverbs basically the first Ten chapters or nine chapters, I think, are long discourses of poetry. Remember I talked about Lady Wisdom, this, uh, this character, like Wisdom personified as a woman. A lot of her poetry comes out in the first nine chapters. And then from chapter 10 onwards, the majority of Proverbs is the little 
uh, nuggets, like the Chinese cookie type of two, 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 two verses of don't do this, do this. You know, it's a lot of, a lot of them. But this is part of the poetry of, uh, of the uh, book of Proverbs in the first part. And I want to read a whole chapter. You're going to read a whole chapter of the Bible today. And it'll get your attention because it's all about a subject that gets attention. My son, writing to a son. Pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Then you will learn to be discreet and will store up knowledge. The lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey. Her mouth is smoother than oil. But the result is as bitter as poison, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. For she does not care about the path to life. She staggers down a crooked trail, doesn't even realize where it leads. So now, my sons, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Stay away from her. Don't go anywhere near the door of her house. If you do, you'll lose your honor. You'll lose lose it to merciless people. All that you've achieved in life, strangers will consume your wealth and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. You will say, how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I've come to the brink of utter ruin and now I must face public disgrace. Here's the solution, boy. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets, having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share that with strangers. In fact, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is, after all, a loving dear, a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman? For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. Don't you love the Bible? I should have asked my kids to leave the room. I didn't know you were in the sex chapter. <laughs> there is far more to stewarding your tongue, is the first thing. Stewarding your temple is the second, okay, your body. There's far more than stewarding your temple, your body, than just sexuality. But because this is a dad writing to his sons, it's one of the things that comes up a lot. Uh, it's one of the things that comes up a lot. There are other areas of our temple that the Bible speaks about us stewarding well. Obviously, we have mental health. It does uh, bode well for us to steward the things we think about. And mental health is not all about what you think. I understand that. But, but to steward the, the thoughts that we have and to monitor, to be aware of what I'm thinking and dwelling upon. It bodes well for us to steward our physical appetites, food and exercise and look after our body. After all, our body doesn't belong to us. And physical training, the New Testament says, is of good value. But the Proverbs, probably more than any other subject, again, maybe because it's writing to boys, sons, deals with this issue of sexuality and of dealing and stewarding our sexuality well. Because like speech, sexuality is a powerful thing. And powerful things need to be handled with care. Because the very thing that can bless you can burn you. The very thing that can help you can harm you. 
the very things God's created to be beautiful and, and, and delightful can do harm if it's not stewarded well. That's what fire is. Uh, the fire of the tongue, the fire of sexuality, passions can be great and greatly benefit, but they can also cause harm. It all depends on how it is stewarded. And this is a prolific subject through the book of Proverbs. In fact, in Corinthians, when I first opened and I read Corinthians, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. That verse, yes, it's a concept, it's a principle, but it's written in the whole context of sexual appetite and of sexual conduct. I'll read the verses around it, it's very simple. Verse 18, echoing the proverb here where he said, run away from her house. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 6.18, he says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. I, when I read that, I see Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife? I don't know how, how you imagine her. I think the Technicolor dream coach, she's a, you know, she uh, comes really on with this seductress type of thing. It's great. But, um, but he flees. And the whole thing of fleeing, leaving his cloak behind, like, get the heck out of there. And I, that just triggers in my mind when I read this from Paul. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. I won't go into that today. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now, don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know, after all, your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? There it is. Who is in you? Who have you received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. As he goes into the next chapter, chapter 7, he talks about husbands and wives, and he talks about sexuality as being almost like a co-ownership uh, co thing. It's like this is saying, listen, your bodies belong to one another. You guys belong to one another in this holy thing. Now, any truth used by the wrong person will be harmful. But there's a beauty here. There's a beauty. There's an intended beauty here about understanding that as a married couple, we belong to one another. It was this thing, I've shared this before, when I was 15. I mean, I, I think that's so young now that I've got kids. I think that's so young now. But it was this thing that one of the first times I ever heard God speak to me, literally heard God's voice. I don't think it was an ear thing. I think it was like a, an internal thing, but I heard words. And it was when I was asking God about sex on a youth camp. And God spoke to me about the fact that even at 15, as far as he was concerned, I had a wife. Because the God of all eternity could see me and my wife together. And it was that thing that got me off porn at age 15. And it was that thing that gave me the commitment. This is just my story. I can't, I'm not, everyone's got a different story. But every, for, for me, it was that thing that got me thinking, well, I'm not going to engage in sexual activity until I'm with my wife, because as far as the God of eternity can see, he can see me as married. I can't necessarily give you chapter and verse for that. I'm just saying that that's what Chad at age of 15 heard, and I understood at that age, my sexuality doesn't just belong to me. Okay, My sexuality just isn't mine. If I'm going to exchange that, give that one day, in true partnership with a wife, and I want to look after something for her. And so that's part of stewarding, our sexuality. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about that. Steward your tongue. Just got quiet in here. Steward your tongue. Steward your temple. Your body is a temple. Steward your tongue. Oh, come on. Somebody had to do it. Somebody had to do it. I was waiting for Malcolm to do it. I thought you might. But, huh? No, 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 no. <laughs> That's right. No, it's too many, too many. 
steward your temple. Steward, steward your treasure. Steward your treasure. Steward your treasure. There are dozens of verses in the Proverbs that deal specifically with money. And for some of you, as soon as I said stewardship at the start today, you're like, mm, it's talking about money. No, 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 no. God owns all of our life. Uh, money's a part of that. But certainly in the book of Proverbs, again, a father writing to his son, there's a lot of wisdom in the book that talks about the wisdom of stewarding our finances well. The Bible talks about planning. The Proverbs talk about planning well with your finances. 21 verse 5 says this, The plans of the diligent lead to profit. A surely haste leads to poverty. Here's some wisdom for all of you today, all of us today. Have a plan. Plan something. Don't be haphazard with your money. Have a plan. Have some type of plan because the plans of the diligent will lead to profit. The Bible, Proverbs talk about protection. 27 verse 12 says, A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Now, if you had an angel appear to you, or God part the heavens and come down and speak to you clearly about not taking out insurance, then that's your business. Otherwise, protect what you've got. Okay? Get insurance. Look after what you've got. The Proverbs speak about taking precautions in life. It talks about resisting debt. Not avoiding because some debt can be good, beneficial, but just being conservative, let's say, with debt. Proverbs 22.7 said, The rich rule over the poor, the borrower is slave to the lender. There is, in the Proverbs, a conservative approach to being in debt, which is why I use the word resisting rather than completely avoiding. talks about saving. 21 verse 20, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. <laughs> saving. Storing up, the rainy day will come. 11.25 talks about generosity. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Proverbs speak about being generous, helping others. There are many, many generous people in this room today. I know that you've been blessed also by people's generosity. And lastly, it talks about honouring God with what belongs to him. And so Proverbs 3 uh, verse 9 says, Honour the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of your crops. Honour the Lord with your wealth. And the, in the Jewish mindset, in the Hebrew mindset, the first fruits weren't yours, they were God's. <laughs> the idea when God introduces the tithe, when God introduces first fruits, there's a slight difference there, I won't go into it today. But the idea is God said, those things belong to me. It's not yours to give, it's just yours to bring. It's me giving something through you to some, somewhere else. And so honouring God with our wealth is saying, God, not every dollar in my possession is my possession. And I'm going to honour you with that which you've entrusted to me for a short period of time. Stewarding your treasure. The Proverbs has a lot to say about planning, protection, resisting, saving, giving, and putting God first. Amen. There are many other areas of stewarding our life. And as I said today, a bit of a shotgun type of approach. You're not going to remember a whole bunch of points. Some of you hate points. But some of you will at least walk away with a concept. I've been preaching long enough to know you're not going to remember 15 points. All right. But if you can leave with one today. Doing life well 
in part, is doing stewardship well. And there are certain things that God has entrusted to me that don't ultimately belong to me because you know what? At the end of the day, my whole life belongs to him. My whole life belongs to him. And when I said, Lord, I commit my life to you, I was actually saying, what you've given to me really is yours because you are my source. You are my life. In you I live and move and have my being. But stewardship looks like something. There is a practical outworking in our life and here's just some examples of that. You see, because ultimately, probably the biggest challenge that encompasses them all is this. Our responsibility to steward truth. Steward your tongue, steward your temple, steward treasure, steward your talents and your time and any other tea that Chad can think of. But ultimately, it's about stewarding truth. It's about saying, this is true. God has said, and that's enough for me. Truth has come to me. Now, what am I going to do about it? And so maybe it's fitting that we end with everyone's favourite proverb of trusting God with the truth that he's spoken to us. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. I know better than you, Lord. Nah, don't do that. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes, my son. In fact, fear the Lord. Respect him. Know that he knows better than you and shun evil. And this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. There will be Temporal benefits in heeding the voice of God and obeying his truth. But you know the greatest benefit of acknowledging and stewarding truth is the eternal benefit. Because the greatest truth that God has ever revealed is Jesus. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is life. And the best thing we can do in life is to steward his message well. So I want to ask you today, because I don't know everyone here, I don't know everyone watching online or listening to this recording. What have you done with the message of Jesus? What have you done with the truth of Jesus claiming, I am the way, the truth and the life, and no one can come to know the Father unless you come through me? What have you done with the truth that Jesus spoke when he declared that he is the way to eternal life, that knowing him is to know God, is eternal life? He died a sinner's death to make sinners saints and holy in God's sight. What have you done with that truth? Have you stewarded that well or has that just come to you and you've dismissed it or holding on, just not doing anything with it? I want to encourage you most importantly today, steward that truth well. A, acknowledge Jesus today. Maybe the fact you're here today and you don't know Jesus, but the fact you're in church, that's a good step, just saying, God, I acknowledge you. You're real. B, believe Jesus is who he said he is. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that Jesus died, rose from the dead, you will receive the benefit of what we call salvation, being saved from eternal death and entering into eternal life knowing God. 
and steward that truth well by cooperating with him, by just beginning a journey of walking with him. One of the first things we do in cooperating with God is to confess with our mouth and to say, you're boss and I'm not. You really are saviour. You really did die for me and my sin so that I can know God in uninhibited liberty and live forever with him. That is a truth and I acknowledge that, I believe it and I confess it with my mouth today. I encourage you, if you've never done that before, steward the truth of Jesus today. It's the best thing you could ever do. How many of you have done that before? And we continue to acknowledge, to believe, and to cooperate with him as best we know how. If you'd like to do that today for the first time, I want to encourage you to come speak to me. As soon as we break, we're going to have coffee. If you're a guest here today, you get a free coffee in the foyer. Although you might want to skedaddle and get on with your long weekend. But by all means, please stay around. But if you say today, you know, actually, I want to take that next step in my journey with God. I want to truly acknowledge him. And I want to confess Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I want you to quickly come and speak to me. I'd love to help you with that. The rest of us, this truth applies to us too. Steward the truth well that you've heard today. Whichever resonates with you the most, whatever God has spoken to you. For some of you, the last 20 minutes... 20 minutes isn't the main thing for you today because God spoke to you while we were singing. Steward that well. Steward that truth well. As Jay said before, if that was you today, having wings clipped, God's telling you to stretch your wings out wide for supernatural growth. Do that this week. Okay? Do that this week. Should we pray? Let's do it. Well, I've got to start by saying thanks, don't I? I've, I've got to. That's, how it, that's just how it rolls. <sighs> Dad, we say thanks. You are so good. Whether we sing it, whether we say it with our mouths, whether we say it with our actions, say it with the ways we serve other people, the way we conduct ourselves, we want to say thank you. You are infinitely good. You are indescribably generous, incomparably glorious, and we acknowledge that today as best we know how. We thank you for this day. We thank you for speaking to our hearts. We thank you for the privilege of you entrusting us with precious things. And as for me, I want to be one of those to whom you can say, well done, good and faithful steward. The things you've given me that are not my own, and the things that you've given me that are powerful to bless and benefit others, today I commit myself to being faithful and loyal as a steward. I bless you and I thank you in Jesus' name. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day.